Hi, I'm Francis Hellier, and welcome to my brand new podcast, Metaverse. This is a podcast for the future-minded, a series for anyone on the hunt for the next big thing and all its possibilities and implications. This is Tomorrow's World Today. With each episode, I will chat to those at the top of their fields, from futurists in crypto and space travel to forecasters in business and tech. Together, we will ask the question, what's next? Today, I'm joined by Joel Dietz, artist, entrepreneur, investor, and founder of Art Wallet. Created earlier this year, Art Wallet fosters the ultimate solution for storing and owning NFTs, and also provides the playback of unique audio and visual content. Before this, Joel was a founding member of Ethereum, a platform allowing developers to build and publish next-generation decentralized applications. As an author, his book, Principles of Holonic System Design, looks into our outdated understanding of the world and has been the most cited author on Google Scholar on crypto economics. Joel, it's, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Such an honor. So let's start where it all began. How did you get into tech in the first instance? I got into programming when I was six years old because I liked games and I could change games and modify them through changing code. And then, you know, a lot of things happened since then, but I found that I really enjoyed programming and games and uh, took me a lot of interesting places. Are you still enjoying it? Yeah, I've uh, designed a lot of games over the years, and uh, but they've taken a little bit different paths. My favorite games to play have been board games and card games, and my programming things have taken me in you know, more blockchain and enterprise software and things, but I think they may be starting to merge now with the uh, metaverse. Well, we are living in very exciting times. I think uh, the pandemic certainly has, has escalated things to a, to a level we perhaps we weren't anticipating with change. Um, but let's go back to your time in Ethereum, because obviously that's uh, one of the major players in the cryptocurrency market. It's, 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 it's one of the buzzwords of everything that's out there right now. Can you tell us about you know, what your involvement was and how you got started in that? Yeah, I was already following the writings of Vitalik and, you know, super closely following everything in, you know, tech news and digital currency world and including talking to a lot of people in alternative economics that were doing things that were not cryptocurrencies. Um, and then the day the white paper came out, I would say I had a nerdgasm. I was just like, this is amazing. So interesting. Immediately started sketching down all the things you could do with smart contracts and concluded that it was totally gonna reshape everything we think about organizational design and you know, joint stock companies and just so much was gonna be transformed as a result uh, and basically left everything I was doing to start working on Ethereum and yeah, from that day. And what's your relationship with Vitalik? Had you, had you read the papers first before you met him or how did that work? I had read his writings for Bitcoin Magazine and had wanted to meet him, uh, but I had not met him up until that time and then uh, he came and stayed at my house a couple times uh, during the kind of early part of Ethereum. So I got a fair bit of personal interaction with him and then some of the other founders of Ethereum that passed through Silicon Valley. So kind of got to know most of the like original team of uh, Ethereum on a first name basis. And how much of a threat are the new cryptos? For example, Cardano project, how much of a threat to Ethereum is there? Um, I think there's a number of threats to Ethereum right now. And part of it is that the Ethereum Foundation, you know, there's this big scandal actually going on right now. So I think there's some kind of dark secrets inside the Ethereum Foundation that haven't come to light. And that's probably the biggest threat because 
Ethereum still has the best developer community. It has the biggest vision. Vitalik is like clearly a genius. And I don't think broadly speaking, anyone else is like up to his level, but you know, Charles from Cardano is also a genius, you know, Gav from Polkadot is also a genius. And, you know, if, if one of these, you know, platforms kind of fails to execute or gets caught up in scandal or something like that, I think it gives a huge opportunity for someone else to surpass them. Okay. Now you started the, uh, the hugely successful Ethereum project, MetaMask, uh, the wallet. How did you come up with that idea? And how do you, why do you think it reached the heights it did? Yeah, backtracking to like 2012, I made the first ever crypto or digital currency browser extension wallet. Um, it was like a tipping app and you could do it. And I, I shut it down because uh, there wasn't enough interest in it at the time. And I had some regulatory issues because it wasn't a pure cryptocurrency, even though I had the intention to decentralize things over time. So I had that experience of building multiple browser extensions and I had the experience of building all of the Ethereum um, communities in the Silicon Valley, California, you know, um, basically started all, all of them. So we had a you know community of hundreds of engineers that were really interested in Ethereum. I think we were up to like 5,000 in that one meetup, meetup group or something. So I came to DevCon Zero, which was the first serious developer engineer meetup of the Ethereum community. There may be 40 or 50 of us at this place in Berlin. And everyone had already built pretty cool downloadable clients wallets. One was called Mist, one was called Alice Zero. Um, and, you know, but no one had really built anything serious yet in JavaScript, at least like officially sponsored by the Ethereum Foundation. And it was clear to me that people were gonna consume things in a browser context. So that was, you know, just dApps were gonna be built in browsers. People weren't necessarily gonna wanna download a new client. And the user experience that people were used to was more of a browser type experience. Besides the fact that, you know, I've been in the industry for a long time, so I knew a lot of UI, UX kind of, you know, people were very fine-tuned, user experience oriented, and they were most used to working with technologies they knew, like JavaScript. So I was pushed heavily in that direction. There were other people there that also thought that was a good idea. And basically, I went in a room with Gav and Vitalik and said, guys, you know, if we, if I go back to Silicon Valley and get a team to work on this kind of JavaScript stuff and like browser extensions specifically, you know, would you fund it? And they said, yes, we could do it. We're just setting up this, you know, Ethereum dev grants program. So it would be like the first grant basically from the dev grants program. Um, so I went back basically with that intention and then rounded up some people who had, there were maybe like five developers at that point in, in the Bay Area who would built serious things with some sort of snippets of JavaScript. So I kind of talked to everyone. Um, one of them was working for Apple at the time. And he said, I would totally quit my job at Apple to like work on this full time if we could, you know, guarantee some, you know, money that would pay my salary because he had a kid and wife and couldn't just like work for free forever. On, unlike us other, you know, <laughs> people who, who were basically all working for free at that point on Ethereum. So that, and that was basically it. So then uh, we applied to Y Combinator. Y Combinator re rejected us they, in the interview or that they said after they're like, we don't really know exactly what people are going to do with smart contracts. It's not really clear. It's a big thing. I was like, uh, all of us were like, it's a big thing, guys. Trust us, Ethereum. But it was still early enough in the day that even the Y Combinator people didn't seem to really understand the potential of Ethereum. And uh, yeah, that was like basically the story. And then uh, at some point later on, it was an open source project basically that time with the kind of, you know, I wrote the whole grant for whatever the Ethereum Foundation and all that. And then at some point, they basically consensus, I guess it has kind of like a backdoor into Ethereum somehow. So they basically made it a consensus project and didn't really credit me for very much after that. Well, amazing. Well, we can congratulate you here at Metaverse on your vision. So well done on that. Um, 
your your book principles of of holonic system design looks at uh, all the different outdated practices um can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah uh, i am there were maybe like a half of the core team of ethereum at the launch was like really into this idea of holons and in fact i also had a half of them basically signed off to create some like living accelerator which i ended up creating in and of myself like a basically a a nest where people could come in and basically have synergistic interactions with each other um that would lead to product creation and everything else including games because we actually bonded over playing a lot of these interesting games so that was like a huge hotbed for you know ethereum developers in silicon valley um, and basically where the metamask team came together and uh but it was built on a concept that was basically this holons which is by this uh, philosopher arthur kostler who was talking about the integration between biological systems and how they coordinate you know various scale factors so like at the level of a cell you know at the level of an organism you know at the level of social organisms and how we can basically describe that you know as far as nested circles almost like where each one is kind of a larger organism and then you consciously decide to participate in a larger organism and to me it's similar to some of the concepts in like libertarianism or what von Mises called like praxology and that basically people are becoming more conscious about the nature of the social organizations they participate in and then as they become conscious they can choose to basically organize and have like a system for describing that so I, I, it was very exciting to me. There were definitely other people who were really into it. Mihai, who basically was the editor for Bitcoin Magazine and one of the original Ethereum founders, was really into this concept. And probably I'm the one who like wrote about it the most since then. Um, and you know, obviously people are building like financial applications and all that kind of stuff, DeFi, this, that, and other. But you know, there's still a number of us, I guess, who find this really interesting conceptually and and see it as the foundation for not just how we reimagine like small organizations but kind of how we reimagine all of society i think that's absolutely right i think it, lots of people don't spend lots of lots of time reflecting on the reasons why we are outdated in many areas of lives particularly work um how do we if we move to move forward in the future how do we how do we make people reflect on those things more i mean what's the what's the kind of the way to persuade people to to do things differently how do we achieve that well, you know, I think Vitalik did a really good job in talking about DAOs, you know, because he was the one who basically coined that term. And it, other people had used the word DAC before, which is first about corporations, decentralized autonomous corporations. But he kind of said, you know, there's other possibilities besides sort of standard corporate structures. And so, you know, having a joint stock company is one way, but there's a larger type of things. And, and one of the great things about Ethereum and the world around it is that people kind of learn by doing and making experiments and trying new types of social models and, you know, trying to make them ideally at least transparent and, you know, as automated or functional as possible. So I think uh, as someone who's a builder myself, I often think really the best way is just to get out there and build something. And, and you learn that some of these things have flaws or the technologies isn't well enough developed to like really build something at scale, but it's, you know, an iterative learning process. So as much as I love to write, you know, long philosophical treatises and stuff, I still think that like fundamentally, you know, you have to go out there and build something and, and try to use it. Okay, so crypto economics, um, cryptocurrency has the potential to change the world in, in so many different ways in terms of how we interact, how we transfer money, all those different things. Um, can you delve into the concept of crypto economics a little bit for us? Yeah, so original crypto economics was like, I don't know, 10, 15 people who joined a Skype group because Ethereum was basically organized to be a bunch of Skype groups like right after the launch. 
of the white paper. And uh, different people came from either a hard economics background or a math background or game theory background. And everyone knew that like game theory and some of these things was really important for designing consensus systems uh, about, you know, basically how you can automate and, you know, Ethereum solved this really important problem called the ghost uh, problem to kind of get like lost uncles a little bit. Um, confu confusing, but it was like one of the main things that allowed Ethereum to have like a fast block speed. And uh, and that was kind of like the applied side, but there were also some of us who were looking, hey, like how does this affect the rest of society? Like what are the social problems, you know, that we can solve with this? Um, and how can we ensure as well that like what we're doing is actually having a positive impact in the rest of the world? Because, you know, as people sometimes associate crypto with scams, um, and obviously there are a lot of scams in crypto, but you know, there's also a positive or a potential social function that we can map and say, this is what how we know we're doing something positive. And if you go to an organization like Google or some of these big, you know, organizations, they have a reasonably clear social philosophy embedded in them. You know, Ray Dalio and Bridgewater and things like that. Um, and so I think for some of us, at least, that's what we hoped crypto economics would become is like kind of a science of not just how can we build these systems, but how can we also model the future of um, smaller systems and societies to ensure that you know these things are growing in a, a positive direction. What are your thoughts on the crypto community at large? I mean, I think crypto crypto guys and girls are, are so passionate about their particular currency that they support, uh, their particular coin. You know, you go on Twitter and people sort of, it's almost like a, a, a pop group fandom in some ways. Um, what do you think about that? Well, um, I think it's cool. I mean, I think there is a little bit where people who are suspicious of crypto know that there's like, you know, a Ponzi psychology thing that you get a coin and you try to get everyone else to try to get your coin. And um, that I think scares people away, but, you know, both legitimately and non-legitimately. But I mean, the reality is that you're building something from scratch that has never been built before, is totally unknown in the history of currency systems and political systems and whatever else. And it's like very exciting, you know? If you look at like a lot of other like social movements or political movements, a lot of them have like devolved, I would say almost into like, you know, very simple slogans. And basically everyone is like fed, you know, information by Facebook's algorithms and then fighting each other on the internet for like, you know, I don't know what I consider most, for the most part to be kind of stupid things. So there's a whole other world of like, hey, look, we have the, all the tools we need to build the future of, you know, social systems. This is something we should be excited about and we should channel our energy into like building things so that, you know, if other things are going to collapse, then we at least have something that can provide us, you know, some safety net, if not a whole foundation for the future of society. So I'm going to ask you a double question now. First of all, um, where is this all going to go? What is it going to look like in 10 years? And also, uh, what are the other tech advancements and things that you find personally quite exciting that you think they're going to change the world? Yeah, I went from like a very early Ethereum enthusiast to, you know, making some money with Ether. I sold off quite a lot, like $12, and then investing it in other types of projects, including like Burning Man related stuff and donating to that. And then, you know, VR, AR experiences. I went pretty deep in kind of the future of artificial intelligence and game design and just other things that I've had a you know longstanding curiosity in. And I think like, you know, the future is definitely a synergy of those things. Um, not just like one needs to dominate and they have things to complement with each other. And a lot of them really come down to how do we know, to back to the Holonic thing, but how do we know that we're getting better and happier and um, healthier, you know, along the way. 
and how can we basically design design the thing? So I think in some ways those these are different tracks. Like when I talk about the metaverse, I always talk about AR VR technology. I always talk about digital assets, but I also talk about you know brain chemistry and you know the neurobiology and you know mm -hmm. basically the psychedelic research things where people are really understanding how our brain works and finding the ways to like fine tune them and modify them and give us access to things that we might not normally have as far as you know cognitive structures. And I, I kind of think we're like reaching some kind of renaissance where those things are becoming more and more accessible to more people. The barriers to entry are decreasing and it's becoming like a global thing where people can, you know, one person in India who's like 15 years old can pick up an Ethereum thing. I'm actually, you know, advising a couple of projects that are in the educational world right now. And basically they can learn the fundamental building blocks of like Web3 and then start building their own metaverse thing. And it's just, I don't know, to me, it's super exciting. No, I completely agree with you. Um, but what about the other things? I mean, what, what else is there? I mean, is it artificial intelligence? What, what are the things that you kind of, you also enjoy uh, following other than crypto? I try to follow, actually, I have a background as well in doing research in comparative mythology, um, which goes into the formation of, let's say, like how people build their belief systems, the, you know, how they evolve over time. Uh, I did a research recently on the like, emergence of UFO religions and kind of how they're popping up in different parts of the world and people's belief systems and kind of how they evolve, um, including like the, you know, Burning Man, how Burning Man and the mythology behind Burning Man evolved. So I try to keep my, um, and I have a background a little bit in doing like Taoism, like my first university undergrad thing thesis was on comparative Buddhist and um, uh, Christian epistemology. So it's like kind of more philosophical topics, but when they merge with things like neuroscience and hard science, I find them extraordinarily thrilling. So I try to keep up on the academic research in a, a few different categories of interest. And uh, yeah, quantum physics as well. Like I, I don't know that as well, but I do know a lot of the applied side in the quantum research centers. I was just helping some people organize some IP out of the quantum research center in Russia at Skolkova. So, you know, there's, there's like a lot of cool stuff out there. Um, and for me, blockchain is one subset of it. And, you know. Yeah, we're changing the world, right? One block at a time. So what are your, what are your thoughts on sort of big tech and the control that some of the sort of social media companies and other things have in our lives? Are we all likely to see massive disruption in this space? We're talking about Mark Zuckerberg, uh, you sort of rebranding potentially as something like Metaverse or something like this. It, it was a place and time for... Facebook and, and the ilk. What's going to happen next within, around that space? I think of Philip Morris and Facebook as kind of similar categories, to be perfectly honest. Like, I think the algorithms are a little bit out of control and they're not really adapted to human good. They're kind of, you know, how can we maximize the amount of time spent on these platforms? And when you see people sometimes who've grown up in these native sort of environments, um, that affects, affects me quite detrimental, both to their happiness. I think it's creating a lot of unhappy people. Um, and I think it's also um, creating people with very short attention spans. So I think in some ways, like the Facebook, as it is currently structured, is kind of creating this sort of zombie apocalypse for the rest of society, to be frank. But I, I don't necessarily know if that's the fault of the Facebook execs, execs or just sort of like, we discovered these algos for attention and now they're just, you know, racking up as much profit as they can. Um, so I think there needs to be a pretty serious rethinking of these things and maybe it'll come from the web3 community or other people that are seriously committed to you know stewarding the future um, in a way that for-profit corporations can't thank you and so let's talk about you again what does the future hold for you joe i 
M have this project Meta Metaverse, we're basically a platform for uh, creating metaverses and having people, corporates, be able to build their own metaverses and really showcasing some of the really fine art stuff because I've been involved in the arts community for my whole life and uh, find always, you know, super high synergies with people who are very dedicated to beautiful experiences. And um, since this NFT stuff exploded recently, I found a lot of amazing fine artists kind of come into my community. Uh, including on like the very cutting edge of like AR, VR experiences and yeah. um, like the neurofeedback from your brain where the art evolves as your brain is evolving. So I want to stay really similar. I mean, it's kind of what I've been doing for a long time, but um, staying at the forefront, really the cutting edge of these technological fields as they evolve with really the highest end experiences and also providing the kind of legal infrastructure. I like am excited about the history of jurisprudence and how law evolves and stuff like that that comes in and basically builds um, something that can really allow society to transition. You know, there's kind of this like old school philosophy of, you know, scarcity versus abundance kind of mindsets, um, which sometimes mm -hmm. is not that well explained, but I think it's a real thing in that if you think of life and things as zero sum games and like, you know, a lot of people because of their background, their ancestral history, like they like, they fight wars, you get a certain amount of land and you have to kill other people in order to get more land. And then that's like the scarce resource is, uh, you know, create cycles of violence basically on this planet that are unnecessary. And if you start thinking of things as like, hey, I can make a game on the, in the metaverse and then I, you know, can experience the wealth and I can share and I can build, invest in new things. You know, it's a, it's a transition, but it, it really takes us away from some of these, let's say destructive zero sum um, outcomes. Well, listen, Joel, it's been uh, amazing talking to you. I'm looking forward to spending time in the metaverse with you very soon. Um, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for all your wonderful views on, on everything we've discussed. Thank you so much. Pleasure. You've been listening to Metaverse with me, Francis Hellier. Thank you to my guest, Joel Dietz, for a fantastic conversation. Tweet us at MetaversePod with any suggestions or feedback. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please do share a link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, metaverse.fm